Welcome to the Speaks Exchange podcast with your host, Donald Taylor. As a renowned learning and development industry expert, as well as chairman of the Learning and Performance Institute, Donald sits down with experts from around the globe to talk business communication, learning technology, language, digital transformation, and engaging, upskilling, and reskilling your organization. This podcast is brought to you by Speaks, the first intelligent language learning platform for the digital workplace. Listen in and you might learn a thing or two. Welcome to this episode of the Speaks Exchange podcast with me, your host, Don Taylor. With me is Dr. Doug Belshaw, co-founder of the We Are Open Co-op. He's based in the UK, but really those few words don't do enough to introduce you to Doug Belshaw. So, Doug, can you let us know something about yourself, please? Yes, of course, Don. Thank you. Um, well, I was born at a young age. And um, <laughs> since then, I've grown up quite a bit. I guess you're interested in my professional Yes, I, I should have said, please tell us about your professional life. Otherwise, we could be here for a long time. <laughs> um, so as you can hear, probably from my accent, um, I grew up and now live in the northeast of England. I was a teacher to begin with, a history teacher. And then I was director of e-learning in an academy, large academy in the northeast of England. Went to work for JISC, who I'm guessing some of your listeners will know of, Educational Technology and Higher Education. I then went to work for Mozilla, which is really important to what we're going to be talking about today. They're the people behind Firefox, but also they do lots of other things as well. And then I went to work for City and Guilds as a consultant. City and Guilds are a vocational credentialing body, quite old in the UK. And then I set up my own business and set up a co-op. And then I worked with Moodle quite a bit, the LMS provider. Um, I helped them kind of establish a, a decentralized resource sharing social network. And then since last year, so since 2020, I've gone back to working full-time through the co-op that I founded five years ago called We Are Open. And we've got all kinds of clients um, from Greenpeace, Creative Commons, um, for-profit, non-profit, charities, all different kinds of organizations. But fair enough to say that you are based in both the world of open resources, sharing and so on, and have a strong educational background. And these two come together in the world of badges, credentialing, and so on. Now, look, we've had a chat before this. We've gone over the topic. I just want to pin this down to begin with. Are we still calling them open badges or is it something else now? <laughs> um, Don, one time someone came to me when I worked at Mozilla. So I was on the open badges team at Mozilla and they looked me in the eye and very seriously <laughs> said to me, Doug, this will never take off unless you call them open medallions. And I tried not to laugh in their face. But what it highlights to me is that people have names that they want to give things. And at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter what we call these things that we're exchanging online, so long as they are established on a standard. Because right. the fact that they are established on a standard means that they are interoperable, to use the lingo with one another, and that you can exchange them and display them and all that kind of stuff. So yes, it is still the open badges standard. Maybe we can dig into who stewards that um, now. It's not Mozilla anymore. Um, but if you search for this on Twitter and online and, and whatever, you'll see terms like open badges, digital badges, micro-credentials, digital credentials, verifiable credentials that I'd love to talk more about. Um, but yes, it is kind of a, a fracturing of the nomenclature, but the standard which is all based on, is still called open badges, yes. Okay, so we have a standard, open badges. There are lots of different varieties of ways that people can put that over. Sadly, open medallion doesn't seem to have taken off as a terminology. I would be up for that. I'd want an open medallion. Can you tell us something about 
not open badges, but this idea of credentialing with reference to open badges. What's the difference between credentialing and badges and what makes a verifiable credential? That's a really interesting question. So I could talk about this all day. So um, <laughs> that's why you're here. We like having oh. people who know what they're talking about. So if you think about what a credential is, and we take it right down to brass tacks, okay? So what I'm trying to do when I've got a credential is I'm trying to prove at a distance that something is the case, okay? Mm -hmm. So you can imagine a Roman emperor sending a messenger with a scroll and his official seal, and it's kind of a credential to show that this is legitimate. Um, on my wall, I have my doctoral certificate, which has a lovely hologram from Durham University, which proves that you know, this is a verifiable credential or whatever. But when we're issuing badges to each other, are we always issuing credentials? So the argument that I would usually give and other people who think in the same way that I do about badges, not everyone does, and that's fine, is that if you imagine this visually, the circle that is the badge is larger than the circle inside it, which is a credential. So not every badge is a credential. Some people would disagree with that. So it begs the question, well, if a badge isn't a credential, what is it? And there's a whole movement, especially in France, interestingly, around open badges being used for recognition. And in fact, if you go to openrecognition.org, you'll see a bunch of people in France and Canada and other places really start talking about, well, how can we recognize skills, qualities, dispositions, whatever, in other people in a peer-to-peer -peer way, not in a hierarchical way, through that kind of badging. So they would reject that badges always have to be credentials. I'm very interested this is coming out of France with its dirigiste tradition. Uh, we think of Napoleon decreeing the whole of France should use the metric system rather than the local systems they were using, and very successfully. Uh, so it's very interesting that that should be the the home for it. Essentially, at the core of that, we have this idea that you've got something which it can be used to verify that somebody, let's say, is able to do something or has done something. You can use it for that. Yeah. Yeah. And but that requires somebody's impromptu, if I can use that phrase, which is what the Pope does when he gets his ring and puts it in molten wax. And that's the literally the impression of the Pope's ring. So have I got that right? Yes, absolutely. You have to have some kind of verification. So let's okay. think about what it means for something to be verified. So, for example, an emperor, the pope, don with his big ring or medallion impressed into wax, whatever it is, this verifies and we trust this verification principle. But there's other ways in which we can mm. verify stuff. So, for example, if you're using a, an online messenger and it's end-to-end -end encrypted, we want a way in which we can verify that that encryption has taken place. That is kind of built into the Open Badges standard as well. So there's at least a couple of ways right now that you can verify credentials or Open Badges or whatever you want to call them. One is what's called a hosted assertion. And so what this means is that, let's say, a university or an organization or whoever issues a badge, and um, you click through and it takes you through to that website and says, yes, this is a legitimate badge. You can already at the back of your mind, think about what problems there might be with that, given that things on the web have a tendency to disappear. We call it link rot. So badges which were issued even a few years ago through hosted assertions, you know, the, the proof of that doesn't exist anymore. So you can do it in a cryptographic way. You can kind of cryptographically sign and make sure that this issuer at the time of issuing existed and they kind of give their seal of approval to this, this badge as well. So 
there's different ways in which we can verify it. And sometimes when I work with clients and different people in the system, I ask them, well, what do you mean when you're talking about verification? What does verification mean to you? Um, and one thing which we might want to come back to is the different levels of verification or proof or that kind of stuff compared to the importance of the badge. So if someone was issuing me a badge for my doctoral certificate, they probably want more proof or more verifiability than if it was like a recognition badge that you turned up in an event, like a learning technologies event or something like that. There's different levels of verification. And what tends to happen is that people want what I would call the nuclear option. Let's stick everything on a blockchain for everything, which I think is a bit ridiculous, to be honest. So that's great. So, I mean, basically, I like this idea that verification comes down to asking ourselves, how do we know this is true? And there are levels of credibility around that from the emperor or the papal seal uh, down to something which is much more casual, but suits the level of verification required for this particular thing, whatever it is. Yeah. And let's make a homely example. Let's say yeah. that you issued me a badge, Don, for being a guest on this podcast. Yeah. yeah? But accidentally, because you've got such a massive address book, you accidentally issued it to Doug Levin or something like that. Yeah. And Doug Levin gets this badge and thinks, oh, I think I'll just accept that and start suspending his profile. The consequence of that, I would suggest, is somewhat less than had Durham University issued a doctoral certificate to Doug Levin. Yeah. So they they have different consequences in the real world. Absolutely. So that's a really good example. Thank you. While we're on blockchain, can we just look at it? Because I'm not hugely wild about blockchain, but it is something that is in our lives and won't go away. When people talk to you, I'm guessing they're always saying, oh, Doug, badges, blockchain. You need both, don't you? Is that right? Um, So I used to be, so I started kind of a research group with some other people about five years ago about this. And I quit the research group that I founded because I was just like, there is no need for this. Right. more recently, and having talked to some people in the space who do provide blockchain credentials, I've come to realize that in some situations, and given that it's seemingly solved some of the problems and some of the issues I had with it, let's get away from the abstract into the specifics. If you put something on a blockchain, then it is immutable. And by immutable, what we mean is it can't be changed. That's the kind of the whole point. That's why you can run decentralized banking systems off it. If you could change it after the fact, then people could double spend their money. Yeah. Um, If something's immutable and you make a mistake, well, how do you revoke the badge? You know, let's use the doctoral certificate again. I've accidentally issued a doctoral certificate to my son or to the completely the wrong person. There's ways in which you could do that, but it's awkward. The thing which I thought at the time was the nail in the coffin for blockchain based badges was the GDPR. Mm-hmm. Because the GDPR has means that you kind of have a right to be forgotten and a right to remove your data and to make it more private. And interestingly, and I don't really want to go into the specifics of, a, of one badging platform based on blockchain, but when I've spoken to blockchain based providers more recently, they seem to have found a way around that. But it does seem to be a, a little bit of a hack rather than based on the the actual open badges standard. So my short answer to what you just said was, blockchain can be useful, but it's probably not going to be what you need for most badges that you issue. That's a great answer. Maybe perhaps a level of authentication beyond what you require. We've been talking about badges almost as if we're taking for granted what they're used for. Let's just take a step back and say, well, what are they used for? And they were very big five years ago. Everyone was talking about them then. Are they still big now or is it something that's just died out? 
Yeah, so most of people in the L&D space are familiar with the Gartner hype cycle. So Open Badges was right at the top of that hype cycle, like, I don't know, seven years ago, yeah. I would say. Yeah, seven is a, is a better time frame. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, and, and then if, you, you know, if you've seen the Gartner hype cycle, you slide down into the trough of disillusionment, which is a wonderful term. Yeah. And then you have this slope of enlightenment. And I feel like we're now on the plateau of productivity, as it's called on the Gartner hype cycle. Um, now, what we mean by a plateau of productivity is that people aren't necessarily talking about using them, but they are using them. So a couple of years ago, I was over in Washington, D.C. The Inter-American Development Bank were interested in issuing badges alongside these multi billion dollar loans they're giving to countries to show the impact of the work they're doing. So they're using badges. I'm still in contact with them. My favorite example to point to is IBM, because IBM have an espoused position of wanting to actually hire fewer people with four year degrees in the US. They want to hire more people who have the specific skills that they need. And the things that they point to are the kinds of changes that happen within the landscape. And you might agree or you might disagree with their rationale for this, but they say that things happen so quickly that you could literally start and finish a four-year degree and be out of date by the time you finish it. So they'd rather have much more kind of piecemeal skill-based hiring based on these verifiable achievements. So if you just type in like IBM badges, there are so many different kinds of badges that they issue for all kinds of stuff. So I'm on the IBM Skills website now, and they've got one with Adobe around basic principles of design. They've got stuff around enterprise design thinking, cybersecurity fundamentals, emerging tech, all different kinds of stuff. Now, you might think, well, why are IBM allowing anyone to do these badges? Isn't that a massive investment? But not only does it mean that they can offer these to their existing staff, but if they and make them available to anyone anywhere in the world, they're basically doing marketing and talent acquisition at the same time. Because if anyone can go for the badge, let's say it's quite a traditional kind of thing where you do a bit of e-learning, you do an assessment at the end, and someone is going through these badges and smashing it and getting 100% and all this kind of stuff. Well, maybe this person might be a good fit for your company, for your position. And it might not just be IBM who want to hire those people. It could be anyone. It could be anyone who, you know, can see these badges and think they might be a really good fit for what we're doing as well. So all of a sudden, badges become not just credentials which you're using to get this particular job that you've decided you want to get, but it's almost like a signal to the market, if you will, and also a way that organizations can market what they're about. So for me, I'm on the side of open recognition. So badges can be credentials, but they can also do a lot more. Another really interesting example is in Scotland, one of the care commissions. They're the kind of organization that issue these big, chunky reports that nobody reads. And a few years ago, they started issuing badges related to the recommendations in the report. And what that did was mean that even if you didn't read the report, you were incentivized to implement the recommendations from the report in your everyday practice. And so they saw the report had much more of an impact in the real world because they'd aligned badges with it. So there's so many different things you can do. And I find that really fascinating. Yeah, That's that why is... I've been unreasonably excited about a metadata standard for 10 years. Can you have that on a t-shirt please, Doug? <laughs> unreasonably excited by a metadata standard for 10 years. 
um, marvelous. I think this business about recognition, verification, incentive, I think that the verification piece is part of it. But I think also the question is, why are you using a badge? You've given a very good case study for IBM and explained very clearly why they are. Uh, in the UK, or actually internationally now, EY, the consultancy, is running a tech MBA. And people can do a series of badges internally going through things, which is not just learning stuff on a course, but going and implementing it and doing things and coming back. And that is run in association with Hult International Business School. And the result is that people are now able to get their MBA. Very often EY employees from outside the UK, outside Europe, who probably would never have the chance of receiving an MBA from a top school like Hult, mm. and they write into the chap who invented it, Riaz Shah, being absolutely full of support, saying that he's changed their lives with this. But the whole yeah. thing is built on this series of badges, which they put together in order to get to the MBA. And it's, like I say, it's very practical stuff. It's not just that you sit through a bunch of courses. So in both of these cases, the IBM, well, the, the Scottish report, the IBM, you and the EY one, you mentioned this point about badges acting as an incentive. Is it the case that whether it's recognition by other people or incentive for yourself to go and do something, that in both cases, badges should be verified? Because if they're not, then there's less incentive. If there's not, then the recognition won't be as strong because people will say, I trust this badge less because I can't verify it. That does yeah, verification underpin both of those aspects of that? Yeah, and again, it's different. What are people impressed by at the end of the mm. day? Like, yeah. what causes people to go, hmm? Well, what was really interesting for me was that I got my doctorate at the same time, literally the same time as starting at Mozilla. And for me, me mentioning that I'm Dr. Belshaw in a non-academic setting didn't mean that much. Whereas saying that I'd worked for Mozilla was a, almost like a credential by itself. So being able to prove that I work for Mozilla is professionally useful to me. And I can do that through badges. I can do it by pointing to things that I've done on the web, you know, YouTube videos where I've spoken at events and it's got a Mozilla thing, whatever. So we already kind of do this, you know, when we're trying to get people to understand what we're talking about here and verifying things and aligning ourselves. We talk about, well, you choose the car you drive, you choose the way that you dress in different situations, you're sending out signals. And if you think about badges as signals, that's quite interesting too. You mentioned motivation kind of in passing there. One thing which I think is really interesting is that people often think that badges in and of themselves will motivate people to want to do stuff. And I'd just like to kind of deal with that right now for two reasons. Firstly, if we remove the badge and just imagine that we're going back to paper, we would never say, oh, well, maybe if we give people certificates, maybe that will really motivate them to do stuff. That would sound a bit ridiculous, but yet people think of its badges because online it must be cool and people will be interested. The second thing is that there's some really important research in psychology into crowding out intrinsic motivation. So some people think about intrinsic and extrinsic motivation as a binary. Some people think as a spectrum. I think more like a spectrum. But if you think about the two ends of that spectrum, if somebody is intrinsically motivated to do something and all of a sudden you come along with an extrinsic motivator, the psychological um, research shows that what it does is it crowds out that intrinsic motivation. And all of a sudden that goes to the wayside and they're just after the, the you know, they're chasing after the shiny thing now and they just want the, the recognition. So it's important when you're badging stuff to recognize what people are already motivated to do and maybe not just stick a badge in it because it sounds cool. 
It's a very good point. And actually, we should add that it may even act as a disincentive because there is lots of research to suggest that if you, for example, offer to pay somebody for doing something, even if it's quite a small amount, that they were going to do anyway out of the goodness of their heart, they will not only not want the money, but they'll also be less inclined to do it in the first place because now you've put a price against something mm. which they believed had some sort of value above any price. So I I've think it's a perfect example of that. A friend of mine who used to work at a private school, a friend of his did volunteered for this position for years and it was coordinating stuff and it took a lot of his time up and everyone was very thankful and people stood up and gave speeches to say how thankful they were. And then they decided in a, in a reorganization, it was now going to be remunerated and they put a really low figure on it and he resigned. <laughs> he would have been doing the same thing, but getting paid for it. But that wasn't resigned. the point. He resigned because yeah. it pulled away the motivation for him and made him think was a that... slap in the face. Yeah. Exactly. Let's come back to this business of verifiable credentials, because we've been talking about verification. We've been talking about the role of badges and how they are. They can be used very effectively for different things, or perhaps we shouldn't use them at all. But when we've been talking about this in the past, Doug, you've been talking about verifiable credentials. And I'd like to just clarify in people's minds, what's that in contrast to open badges? Okay, so in the L'Oreal adverts a few years ago, they used to say, here comes the science bit. Um, So (laughs) in 2017, IMS Global Learning Consortium took over the stewardship of badges from Mozilla. And let's not And stewardship, we have a very international audience. Stewardship means looking after something, yeah? Yeah, making sure that the standard is, it's looked after and developed further. Yes, that's the main thing. So they're going, so this organization, IMS, is looking after the standard, maintaining it, and continuing to develop it. Yes. Now, IMS Global Learning Consortium is a nonprofit organization that works globally on a lot of different standards and you pay to be a member, an organizational member of IMS Global Learning Consortium, and that gives you um, access to have a say in how the standards are developed, okay? That is very different to the way that things were done in a community way at Mozilla. So over the last few years, there are, I mean, there are lots of standards in the world. If you know, you're, you're a man who travels around the world, you must take plug adapters with you a lot, and you have to plug different things in and you have standards for how things connect and whatever. And one of the marvels of the modern age is that we can use any web browser and go to any website and it just works, which didn't used to be the case 20 years ago. And we can do that because the World Wide Web Consortium, the W3C as it's known, has all of these standards and people who work for Google and Microsoft and other smaller companies can come together and say how the web should develop further and make sure that everything works. The W3C, has what is now known as the verifiable credentials standard. And this, it's kind of been resurrected and it's quite a new thing. And the thing that's really exciting about this is that we live in a world where we increasingly need to be able to prove digitally who we are and unlock stuff. And you can think about this on a reasonably trivial level, like the fact that I haven't taken a a normal like leather wallet out of the house for over a year now, and I always pay on my phone. Like that is a form of credential, a payment credential. So what we're doing here potentially is aligning open badges with this much larger standard in terms of verifiable credentials. And it also takes this standard and lifts it up outside of the world of IMS. This has been controversial. It continues to be controversial. At the time in which we're speaking, it is 
unsure as to which way things will go. There will continue to be a standard in which you can issue badges, but whether it aligns with this kind of newer verifiable credential standard or whether it gets subsumed another IMS standard is open to debate. If you're thinking about issuing badges, this won't really affect you that much because all the different providers which you would use, like Badger and Credly and Accredible, they will use whatever standard emerges from this and you'll be able to use them just as you can do now. But for those who are interested in the technical details, there's loads of interesting work going on. And the thing which I'd point to specifically is when you've got a technical standard, you've also got a culture of assumptions around it about how they will be used. And IMS is firmly in the kind of formal education camp, but open badges didn't come from that world. It came from a much more informal learning world. So there's a little bit of fire and ice going on here. And it's fascinating for those of us who are grabbing popcorn and sitting by the side and seeing what's going to happen. If anybody's in any doubt that badges are important and there is a market out there for them, can you give us some numbers, Doug? Yeah, so it's really difficult when you've got a decentralized standard. So if you've got a centralized standard, then you can just look and say, okay, well, this is how many things have been issued. When you've got a decentralized standard where there's no, no one in the middle counting things up, you kind of have to guess. Now, IMS did this last year, and they decided it was about 43 million badges had been issued. Wow. But if you go to the Credly website, they've already issued 40-odd million by themselves. So there's tens of millions of badges, definitely. IBM claimed to have issued you know, something like 200 million or something. It's, it's insane. So huge numbers of badges. It might be worth talking about the size of the market. So yeah. I get emails and pings and all this kind of stuff. Um, people who are writing reports on this. And about 18 months ago, one, this is from LinkedIn, Holon IQ said that the micro and alternative credential market is one of the fastest growing markets in education and education technology. And they reckoned it was worth about $9.9 billion. And I can break that down if you're interested. Go on, that's a big number. So if we think about online courses and badges, so we're talking about those issued by kind of Coursera and Degreed and edX and LinkedIn and people like that, they reckon that's worth about $3.8 billion. If we go to professional certifications, so this is people like Kaplan or AWS doing technical professional certifications, that kind of thing. It's about 2.9 billion. Um, And it could be like lawyers and nurses and finance and stuff like that as well. The next one, which is usually the one that people talk about the most, I would say, which is online kind of non-degree certificates, post-secondary micro-credentials. That's what people tend to talk about. Again, this might be specific institutions like Georgia Tech, or it might be like FutureLearn, which I'm sure a lot of you are aware of, or organizations like that. That's about 2.3 billion. And then there's boot camps. So like the learn to code movement or anything like that, that's about 0.9 billion. But again, this is 18 months ago and it's growing all the time. We've had a pandemic since then Mm -hmm. where everything's moved online. So 9.9 billion is a low ball estimate of how massive this market is. So it's starting at 10 billion 18 months ago and one of the fastest growing, I heard Mike, you were saying. So this is something which even if you are sceptical about badges, you have at least got to inform yourself about. So Mm. Doug, if people want to know more about this, where should they be going? There's lots of places you could start. You could start with the um, issuers themselves. So you could go to the openbadges.org website, um, which is run by IMS Global Learning Consortium and click through to the individual issuers. 
the co-op that I'm part of runs a, a wiki using the same software as Wikipedia. That's um, just a badge.wiki. And you can also, if you just search my name and open badges, um, you'll come up with a load of stuff as well. And maybe we can stick some stuff in the, in the show notes. I will put some great links drawing on that in the show notes, Doug, because I suspect a lot of people will have been listening to this, have their interest galvanized and want to go further. Thank you so much. Like you said, you could talk about just one aspect of this for an entire day. I know there's a vast amount we could learn from you, but we have to wrap up. But we always end the show with the same two questions. Uh, what do you wish you'd known and what, do you, what are you curious about? So firstly, what do you wish you'd known when you started in this whole field, Doug? Well, the rhetoric around open badges to begin with was like, it's going to be the end of higher education. We're only going to be issuing badges to each other. And that was such a distraction because actually the open recognition part of it, the non-credential part of it is for me the most interesting bit. And I wish that we'd really double down on that community side of things then because the credentialing is interesting, but it's not the most important bit of open badges to me. And what are you curious? I suspect the answer is, a lot of things, but pick one thing that you're really curious about right now. I'm really interested in how we organize ourselves together as human beings and decide how to do things without hierarchy. Because my feeling is that we have this default operating system, almost like an army, like hierarchical organization and stuff. But I'm now part of a co-op, I'm part of a network of co-ops where there isn't any hierarchy and we have different ways of doing this. And I feel like badges can actually help figure out how we can interact with each other and do important stuff without the patriarchy always deciding what we do. It's a great answer. We'll come back when you've got it figured out and you can tell us (laughs) how we can grow and work without the need for hierarchy and management. Um, Doug, as always, great to speak to you. Thank you so much for coming on. And I know that we'll be talking again very soon. Thanks. Thanks, John. Thanks for the invitation.